I'll move on and talk to Frank. Good morning, Frank. Hi, good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Oh, just another good day. Okay. Well, uh, I talked to you about it before. Now I'm getting ready to do some work. I, it was either just the drought uh, this past summer or something, but anyway, uh, under uh, and around a uh, big ash tree, I, my uh, my uh, uh, grass, it was Bermuda, it was carpet grass, and it just it, it died. And there's nothing left there now but those long strands of, of root stuff. Uh-huh. And um, so I decided I'm going to put something in there. I don't know whether to put that back in there again, might make little, uh, uh, you know, just uh, put some little uh, clumps of it around here and there, or is there something else I should use that would still be uh, kind of like grass, not, not ground cover that because the backyard, like three-quarters of it's beautiful uh, carpet grass. Right. It's kind of what you want, Frank. The The problem with going back with more grass is just by virtue of the way that an ash tree grows, you're going to have more and more roots up toward the surface of the soil. They're not rising up in the soil, but the shallow roots that an ash tree has keep getting bigger. And so somewhere down the road, it's going to get very difficult to mow that area. You're almost going to have to do your mowing with a line trimmer rather than with a lawnmower because these roots are just right up where they're going to interfere with your mower blades. So you have to keep that in mind. If that's an issue, you could replant with monkey grass or dwarf monkey grass or a ground cover like uh, Ovenka Minor or Asian Jasmine or something like that that you know, doesn't require such regular trimming. Um, or, like I say, you go back with uh, St. Augustine's, the only grass going to grow in that much shade. But just recognize that somewhere down the road, you're going to be mowing that area with a line trimmer instead of a lawnmower because uh-huh. of those shallow roots. If I plant those little clumps of uh, of uh, St. Augustine, then, uh, and I, how far apart would I plant them, and about how long would it take them to fill in? Well, those are the two related questions. If you want them to fill in within a year, plant your little clumps about one foot from center to center. One foot on okay. center, we call it. And assuming that you're getting enough light through that ash tree, you should have a solid lawn within a year's time, provided you do your part with watering and fertilizing. Now, you can spread them out further, and it'll take a little bit longer to fill in. But if you yeah. want a, a nice lawn within one season, our general rule is four-inch squares, uh, one foot on center. Okay. And that monkey grass, uh, how about that? Is that seed or is that planted also? No, sir. Also? That, is, that is planted uh, from usually from little four-inch pots. Uh, it's uh-huh. much slower to spread, but on the other hand, it literally never has to be mowed. You don't have to do much of anything to care for it. And it just gives okay. a nice dark green look. There's a dwarf form, which never gets over a couple of inches tall. Then you have the standard monkey grasses, grow away to 12 inches tall. Okay, Bob. I'm I'm going to come out there and uh, out there and, and talk to you guys a little bit more and buy what I need. Then we'll look forward to helping you. Later. you. We'll look forward to it, Frank. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Okay, Goodbye. Bye. All right. Anna's turn. Good morning, Anna. Yeah. Hi, Bob. Green. Hi there. Hi, O. And uh, a very good morning to you. How's your winter? Actually, it's pretty good. We had about 50 inches of rain for all of last year. And it's about uh, maybe 40 degrees, so it's actually not. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bitterly cold. They've got that out in the west. I talked to my friends in Pinedale earlier, and it was 20 below zero a couple of days ago. So 40 degrees for Ohio, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's actually been a pretty mild winter so far. A few days of cold, and then the sun pops out, and it's rather decent. But hardly had any wind 
this year, which is really nice. Well, knock on wood, because winter's not over. Yeah, I know. We had one day that was um, about 25-mile-an-hour gusts, and Paul's building me an outhouse with some glass, a glass roof, and we hadn't attached the roof down. Oh, my. Completely, and one of them hit the ground and shattered in the middle of the night. We weren't too happy about that. Well, you know, like Will Rogers said, good judgment comes mainly from experience, which comes mainly from bad judgment. So uh, it was a learning experience to uh, not anticipate that the weather at sundown is going to be what is going to stay all night, especially when it comes to wind. Yeah, I know. I know. It was just unexpected. Now the the one that survived is secured. Very good. Yeah, but I got some fruit tree questions for you. Okay. Um, I'm trying to get a peach tree and a and a kefir pear tuned up, and I think I remember you saying that uh, it's not recommended to cut pear trees shorter. You don't want to prune heavily on pear trees because it creates real soft, succulent growth that is very much more susceptible to fire blight. Now, you're pretty much north of the fire blight zone, so... Um, I think you could do a little bit more pruning in Ohio than we could do here in Texas without worrying about that. Okay, because it's, it's about 15 feet high, and the, those real skinny branches got pretty heavy, heavy uh, fruited last year, the first time it had fruited, and sure. some of them were weighed down almost to the ground. Well, and that's not a problem. They are very, very resilient. And a lot of people, because pear trees are naturally a more upright grower, People sometimes will actually put weights toward the end of the branches just to pull those branches out a little more horizontally, a little bit less vertically, and you tend to get more fruit and better fruit when you do that. Okay, and it'll and just leave the weights on it. It'll it'll grow that way then. It will grow that way. I've even seen people use you know those lead weights or those metal weights they call downrigger balls used for fishing very deep. I've seen people use those or things like that actually pull those limbs out and you know make the tree a little bit more spreading and uh looks weird but it certainly doesn't hurt the tree and it typically improves production substantially okay i think we'll try that um <clears throat> the pears though um all i know is that it's a white fruit we don't he can't remember what it was that went in about seven maybe seven or eight years ago okay it there's three of them they haven't produced more than maybe two two little pears and they fell off and I've been uh last year I gave them a pretty good haircut but there's some limbs that are you know three four inches wide that I'm kind of hesitant to cut would that be an issue to well you've got to realize that the blooms come on wood that grew last year so if you're pruning too heavily you're taking away all your all your wood that has the potential to make flowers and potentially fruit now I know very little bit about Ohio and I will tell you that right up front I'm not sure what varieties are going to do best for you, so I would be talking to people in the area that are growing pears successfully. I'm going to be surprised if you find a peach that really does well up there, but on the other hand, you can grow cherries that we can't grow. Uh, you can grow some colder um, you know, climate plants, but um, uh, you, you're really going to have to ask some of these questions to somebody up in your area because I just have no experience gardening in an area that has 1,000, 1,200 gel hours. Okay, that sounds good, but cherries sound wonderful. I'm oh, happy. absolutely, absolutely. All righty, thank you much. Happy New Year to you. <laughs> we'll talk again, Anna. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, let's just go ahead and talk to Kay. We're on a roll. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, 
I take care of a flower bed down, downtown, and um, a lot of the plants reseed. And this year, the larkspurs have mm-hmm. reseeded. Very good. Where it's like grass. I mean, it's like hair. Yeah. And I really don't have time to um, thin them. Well, they, if I say, put has to grow on them real regularly, like every week or something, would that be enough where I wouldn't have to thin them where they would still bloom? Oh, they'll still bloom beautifully. They're just going to be kind of a dense mat. But uh, you see that occasionally in the wild because larkspur is a wildflower. It's just going to be, you're going to have so much foliage, you're not going to see the blooms quite as much. But they're still going to be beautiful. Um, If you have anybody that wants to go through and thin out, dig up a little clump of them here, there, and plant somewhere else, that's fine too. But they're going to be beautiful uh, if you do anything or nothing. They're going to be fine. Okay. Great. So I have options. All right. Thank you so much. That's all I had. Well, then uh, good luck with it. Take some pictures because if the weather continues like it is, we're going to have one of the most beautiful wildflower seasons we've had in the past 20 years in Texas. And that will be from, you know, your relatively small wildflower patch to the landscapes in general. It's just, it's very exciting to me. I think we are, are kind of gearing up to have one of the prettiest wildflower seasons maybe for mark abbott will call at some point who's his dad was just kind of the king of texas wildflowers and get his take on it but i think you're gonna have just spectacular success down there yes i'm sure it's the rain that brought the seed through well it's normally we we have a drought during this time maybe and it's consistent rain one thing that we see with a lot of wildflowers is we get a rain early in the season they sprout and start to grow and then it turns dry and then they die from lack of water so it's not just we've had good rain but we've had good consistent rains every time the soil really started to get dry we've got another rain and that's perfect for wildflowers okay all right well thanks a lot for the info always a pleasure Kay. thank you for the call this morning and we start with gene good morning gene good morning bob Good morning. I went to a place. I went to a place called Shades of Green. <laughs> okay. <I got> to- <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the trip. <laughs> I got some low-growing flowering wildflower mix and some hum- and some hummingbird blue uh, butterfly mix. Very good. Can I plant it now? Get it planted immediately. It's uh, we're right on the tail end of wildflower planting season. Um, we're out of blue bonnets, which is a good thing because it's too late for blue bonnets. But these other mixes, yeah, I think this would be the perfect time. We're looking at, we've got pretty much soil now. We're looking at the potential for a little bit more rain later this week. So, uh, uh, it'd be a good afternoon project for you. Okay. The area I'm doing is like four foot by 60 foot. Okay. So it's a strip between my fence and my street. Right. And and I've already prepared the soil. Well, I've already everything's dead out there. Yeah, very good. Do I have to do anything else? Well, you need to, for your wildflower seed to make good contact with the soil underneath. The way we typically accomplish that is with a hard rake, what they call a grass rake, as opposed to a leaf rake, and go out and just you know drag it through that area just to pick up loose debris, just to kind of uh, expose some of the dirt, as it were because that's what the seed needs to come in contact with. You do not have to till it. You don't have to cover wildflower seed, but you just want to be sure that the seed actually gets down to the dirt level, so to speak. Okay, and if I have like a roller, like for rolling sod, I could roll the seed after? 
Not really necessary. Um, okay, so I don't have to compact it then. No, you don't have to compact it at all. Uh, if I were going to roll it with like a sod roller, I'd probably leave the water out. I would tend to roll it with a very lightweight roller just to press it to the ground, but not with a, you know, you, there's a difference in the weight of about 30 pounds and about 300 pounds, depending on whether you have water in it or not. 30 pounds is going to be plenty. If you want to do that, it might even be a good idea, but I'm not going to tell you it's absolutely necessary. Okay, and if we don't have rain, or even if it does rain, should I irrigate the area? If you can irrigate frequently and lightly. Remember that seed has no root down, so in this case, a five-minute watering is just as good as a 50-minute watering. So a, a frequent but light watering would be a very good thing to do, same as you're doing if you're starting Bermuda seed or rice seed or you know some, some other kind of seed. Okay, and will this area reseed next season? That depends on the care that you give it. If you fertilize it, if you do not mow it, if you ignore the idiots from the city who will tell you it's a, a weedy mess and you have to mow it, if you let it go to seed, it should reseed very well. But uh, there have been more than one battle with uh, code compliance and things like that when uh, they confused uh, a water a wildflower meadow with a uh, an untended lot, so to speak, if you get my, sure. get my drift, so to speak. Sure. How long will they last into the season? Like, how how hot will it get before they start to die out? Well, if you've got a good mix, and you've got one, you know, two of the mixes from Wild Seed Farms, and they're the biggest wildflower seed company in the world, uh, the individual uh, plants may bloom for somewhere between three and six weeks. But you have a, a variety of plants, some of which are going to bloom early in the season, some of which are going to bloom mid-season, some of which, uh, things like your blackfoot daisy and some of the coreopsis, may bloom practically all summer. So uh, it's going to be an ever-changing wildflower landscape, but it should last uh, well into the season, and it normally would be drought that puts, excuse me, I think I spent too much time out in the cedar pollen last night helping a couple of deputies, but... uh, it's usually the drought that puts the end of the wildflower season rather than um, than heat or anything else. We have wildflowers that actually do very well in the heat, provided they get ex- uh, good enough moisture. Okay, so if I keep watering them, I'll still keep getting flowers. Um, yes, you should. Uh, and again, it will depend to some extent on the mix, but uh, I can't remember what all... Um, that they put into that mix. But again, Wild Seed Farms, uh, John Thomas and his staff are the best in the business. So, yes, you should continue to get flowers over a pretty long period. After it starts to slow down, can I, is there some other summertime hot weather wildflower seed? There are um, not so much. Well, I can't really say that. Um, the choices are a little limited. But there are things like there's something called a two-leaf senna. It was just cassia that blooms in the summer. Um, like, say, blackfoot daisies, some of the other melampodiums will bloom well in the summer. Uh, some of the uh, different uh, horse mints, um, just a second, I'll tell you the botanical name on those things. Um, but they continue to bloom on into the summer. Some of the Coreopsis, uh, some of the Cosmos, you may actually buy it not as wildflower seed, but if you can find what's called the Ladybird uh, Cosmos selections, those are yellows and oranges that can bloom all summer long. How about sunflower? Um, yes, although sunflowers get so big, 
Uh, I would look for, yeah, I don't think you'll find any of that in your wildflower mix. And sunflower seed likes to be buried at least slightly. But if you were to get some of the branching sunflowers and you were to go through just with a little dibbler, uh, which is basically just could be a, you know, a shaft of a golf club cut off and sharpened that you can actually poke a little hole in the ground and drop your seed down in. Uh, yes, you should do just fine with sunflowers. Okay, great. One question about my asparagus. Okay. I, uh, they've been in the ground for two whole years. Yes, sir. And I haven't eaten any of them. <laughs> is this the year that I can start eating them? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Now, and have you I, been I, watering? Have you been feeding? Have you been caring for yes. them year-round? Yes. Then yes. I'm going to tell you, you can take about a month this spring, and you can eat every spear that comes up. Asparagus yeah. is not a plant where you pick some and leave some. When you're enjoying your asparagus, you pick every spear for as long as the plants can you know, can still remain vigorous that you're not, you know, depleting them too much by taking off all the growth. This first year, after two years of growth, you should be able to pick for about a month. Next week, year, you can probably pick for six weeks. After that, you may be able to pick for 12 or 14 weeks every year. And then after that month, then then I'll get start getting letting them go to green shoots again. Right, because what you all? eat, what you eat is the same thing that makes that ferny foliage. Yeah. You're just yeah, going to let it go into a productive growing phase rather than a phase where you're harvesting everything. Okay, and I can expect to eat these February, March, somewhere's in there. Probably starting in January, the way this winter's looking now. Oh, oh, so okay, because I haven't cut them back yet. I would cut them back pretty soon. I think you may be very surprised. 70 degrees yesterday, 70 degrees today. Um, I, I'm not about to forecast what the weather is going to do, but if this weather keeps up, you'll be starting to see sprouts on them very soon. Okay, I'm hungry for them. <laughs> I understand. Not much out there that's healthier and better for you and tastier as well. And I never intend for them to get out of the garden. <laughs> They're going to go right into my mouth. Uh, your secret is safe with me. <laughs> okay. Appreciate it, Bob. Thanks for all My your pleasure, day. Gene. Thank you, sir. Uh, goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Javier, good morning. Uh, Bob? Yes, sir. Hi. Uh, they gave me a, a small bottle of, uh, I think it's violet, uh, African violet, uh, like a vitamin, uh, a couple of years old. Is it safe to use on uh, different plants I have? You know, without knowing what's in it, uh, it would be safe to use, whether it would be something I would recommend. It's probably synthetic nitrogen and things, which I'm not fond of. But um, if it was made for African violets, it could be used on basically all kinds of flowering plants. But when you use it up, I would uh, tend to go with something that's more organic in nature by Medina or Spoma or Ladybug. I think there are better things out there, but rather than pour this down the drain, yeah, I think you can use it on just about anything flowering. Uh, okay. And uh, also, uh, you told us uh, weeks ago that that new uh, doctor would take over, Dr. Staffel. Yes. Uh-huh. It hasn't happened. It, it, has he decided not to? Or? Um, I met Dr. Williamson the other day. He is a very knowledgeable, very competent person. I don't know if there are issues with getting recording done or what his schedule is, but uh, um, it's my understanding that I know he is, you know, very active in uh, Dr. Staffel's dental practice, and of course that's where he makes his money. Uh, those guys actually have to pay to be on the air, so it's a great 
pleasure for us that they choose to do so. And um, I I don't know what the holdup of his being live in the studio has been, but, uh, you know, join me in listening this afternoon, and maybe this will be the day he starts live studio broadcast. Okay. Okay, well, thanks, Bob. It's my pleasure, Javier. It's good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Certainly. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, well, let's get back to gardening. And by the way, uh, for and maybe you're just joining us or maybe you just haven't been listening real carefully, but uh, our good friend Dr. Ed Staffel did pass away a few weeks ago. And what we're talking about is uh, his associate, a man he'd been working with for some time, Dr. Williamson, took over both his dental practice and is planning to continue the Your Smile Matters radio show here. Uh, just it's a matter of time. It's a matter of uh you know, being able to get in and record things and do work here in the studio. And I don't know exactly when Dr. Williamson is going to be starting a uh, live broadcast of the Your Smile Matters show, but it will come. It's going to happen and uh, carrying on the great tradition of a great man who passed away recently. Uh, back to the phone lines. going to be Chris and Mario and Rice. And uh, Chris is up first. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob. Can you hear me good? I hear you loud and clear. Awesome. I've listened to you a long time, and I'm in adoration of your show. Well, you're, you're badly misinformed, but I'm very flattered. Well, I understand. We've got to keep that humble going. There you go. Um, Bob, I've got, uh, I've got an acre property. I'm downtown San Antonio. I love my property. It's all flat level. <clears throat> Sorely been ignored for years before I purchased it 10 years ago, and we cleared it, and it's... Uh, it's a lot of property, right? And uh, we don't mind doing the work ourselves. We're older folks, but we we enjoy the working. But we don't want to kill ourselves either, and we don't want to be uh, having some landscaper come out here and you know, and that could cost us a fortune. Sure. I got a lot of pecan trees, so this is the the deal. <clears throat> These trees actually, at a certain time during the day, completely shade. The property. Uh-huh. There's a good deal that is open that gets that morning sun, and you know how darn hot our sun can be. Right. I looked at that soil, and mind you, I'm a transplant from New York, but I was brought up upstate New York, but very little background on this kind of thing. I'd like my property to be, to be softer. What I notice is that the grass, which is thin blade, and I guess a shallow root, uh, has uh, come to life, and I got it in the center where it's mostly sunny. But I've got a lot of pieces of this property that's, um, you know, the, all kinds of weeds. Uh, we got rid of the pig weeds. Apparently, I put the gluten down. Mm-hmm. Can you give me any thoughts about how to continue uh, getting this property softer with, I don't care if it's the thin blade, which is the Bermuda and, um, you know, not killing ourselves when it comes to uh, investment here. Well, first of all, Bermuda is not going to be a good choice for you because Bermuda takes full sun, and so do the zoysia grasses. So what I'm going to tell you before you do anything is come up with a plan for what you want to do with the property. Now, there are lots of plants, flowering plants, green shrubs, ground covers, uh, annuals, perennials, there are lots of plants that will do well in uh, in a shaded area. Uh, big issues, of course, going to become water and, um, you know, how much water you want to buy, how much water you, you know, we will be. One interjection. We invested in what you call a water tank. 
So every time it rains, I say we get two inches of rain, it fills up that tank, and I can't remember how many gallons. So we do have access to that, sir. Well, that's going to go in a hurry, unless you have two hundred. Yeah, gallons, yeah. sorry. Yeah, it's uh, you can go through that in a week's time. So okay. uh, if you have adequate roost space, you can get some more tanks and have more rainwater. And if you plant water-conservative plants, you will greatly increase the how, you know, how long that water will last you. But it's kind of like you don't start out on a road trip without an idea of where you're going. You don't start out without a road map. And that's, to me, the most important thing that you really need to do at this point. Now, the I don't know exactly where your property is, but it sounds very much like property down in the King William Historic Area, just south of downtown San Antonio. I would certainly be driving through that area. I would look at the things that grow down there. I would be stopping to take pictures of landscapes that really appeal to you. I would be going to the Botanical Garden here in San Antonio and looking at some of their shadier areas. I would be visiting uh, a good nursery or two and simply look at all the things that are available to you. And then you kind of put a plan together, you put a palette together, and you implement that one step at a time as you have time, as you have energy, as you have the money that you want to spend on it. But at this point, I can't tell you that, you know, here's one thing you do that's going to make your property beautiful because what's beautiful to me might not be what you want. I love flowers. I love color. Uh, there are lots of perennials that grow well in the shade, uh, some of which take a lot of water, some of which are more reasonable in water. But at this point, you really need a plan before you start trying to implement too many things down there. Um, I think I do have a plan, but maybe I don't, according to other people. <clears throat> uh, I'm, not, I'm not too keen at all about the natural beauty of the property. We have lots of Augustrums, and we got lots of pecans. Sure. I love what I already have. I'm not interested in stuffing it with a ton of plants. I think the deal is, is where it has thrived, uh, which does, had not depleted my water. Truly, it has not. And this mm-hmm. is a natural grass that apparently had spread in a sunny area. So my thoughts were is to continue that plat, which is just really open space with something softer. I'm not too worried um, about under those ligustrums or under those pecans uh, putting all the shrubbery in. I don't really want my property to look like, um, you know, some kind of showcase. I just wanted some more softer of what I already saw that seems to have taken off. The thing is, is when I studied the, the, uh, the earth there, I noticed that in the hot summer, uh, there's a mucky kind of um, uh, soil, and it almost looks like puzzle pieces. And I thought, well, how can any grass take root in that? So I thought maybe you might be able to share some uh, tips that I can do to get well, that grass to grow. Yeah, you have a clay-type soil, which is why it expands and contracts, you know, wet and dry. I would look at some of the sedges. There are not many grasses, but the sedges are grass-like plants that are what typically will grow in the shade in our native areas. And uh, the good news is there have been a lot of new sedges introduced to the market. And uh, the, the cedar sedge is what grows most widely in the hill country, but we've got lots and lots of different types of sedges, and I think they are going to 
probably be more satisfactory than any grass would be in your shadier areas. Now, your sunny areas, you can have your choice. If you want a low-growing grass that requires very little mowing, you probably want to look at one of the narrow-bladed zoysias like emerald zoysia or el toro zoysia. Uh, if you want to plant some ferns in some of the areas around those pecan trees, uh, rather than have just all grass, there are some uh, different types of fern, the river fern, the holly fern, uh, autumn fern. There are some ferns that take virtually no maintenance on your part, but are very soft in appearance and, um, you know, very easily grown and tends to keep the landscape a little bit more interesting just through the variety. But uh, that, sounds, that sounds perfect and pretty much the way I, I had planned to want to do. And I like what you said. Um, uh, what you said regarding something I hadn't thought about, which would have been those sedges. I, I, you've opened up a door. Then, then your recommendation for the emerald zoysia, um, that was very helpful because uh, I'm not exactly sure um, what it is I can do to add to that grass that is trying to spread. Mm-hmm. The other parts of my landscape, um, we've put uh, pebble driveway and, and kind of natural kind of stuff around sure. it. I really don't have as much, even though the property is almost an acre. All I wanted to do is reduce the weeds. Sure. Well, and make it just softer. Well, here's here's the issue. Mother Nature hates bare ground, and she's going to plant something what we call weeds anywhere that there's nothing else growing. Your grass is doing well in the sunny areas, but it's not going to spread into the shady areas because it most grasses require more sun, and where you have the big pecan trees. Uh, they're just not going to move in. So you're going to have to live with something that covers the ground. If you let Mother Nature do it, it's going to be weedier things. If you do it, it can be the sedges, it can be the ferns, it can be, you know, some of your uh, lower light ground covers like Vinca Major and Minor. Uh, even some of the prettier forms of English ivy. There's a little spreading plant called Lysimachia, uh, commonly called Creeping Jenny. Um, but you need to get out and look around at the plant possibilities and see what you like you will do that by looking at other landscapes like you see down in king william like you see at the botanical garden like you see at some of the better nurseries and it's just you know your taste may not be the same as mine or anybody else's so what to get anybody to help you you're going to have to first of all say i like this plant i like this plant i like this plant i don't like this plant which ones of those are going to grow in the area that I have? And then somebody like me right here on the radio can give you a great deal of help when I know what is pleasing to Chris, if that makes sense. Uh, no, you totally make sense, and I don't really think it's as, as complicated as that. I'm not too worried about that shaded area. Sure. I think I was kind of trying to explain to you uh, some of the challenge we might have. Well, I think I'm mostly more interested in spreading that good soft stuff and I did, and I got really worried. What am I going to do with soil um, that might be like that? And the interesting part is the soil that's near around the trees is very nice black dirt. Right. You would imagine that the accumulation of all those dead leaves over all the centuries, whatever, that would have made that pretty rich. Well. So it's mostly I was concerned. How could anything grow 
in soil that's mucky, and I didn't know what to do with that. Well, it's uh, again, the soil around the trees is also shaded. It's not going to suffer from drying out as much. So, Chris, I've enjoyed visiting. I need to keep going here, sure. and uh, you let us help any way we can. I'd like I say, get out and look and see what all the different possibilities are. Now, let me get one more call in here before I take my last break of the show, and that would be Mario. Good morning, Mario. Yes, good morning. Good morning. And I am. I have a, a row of 150 feet, and I planted muley grass there okay. a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And it faces west and gets full sun, put a drip line in, so they've grown very well, and they've gotten really big. And I get, my question is, can I cut them back, and will they come back uh, wider and taller, or how do I maintain those? They will come back very much like they are now. Um, it's, you know, muley grass is not something that gets bigger year after year after year. And, uh, there, there are several different muley grasses. The genus is Muhlenbergia. Uh, probably gulf muley is one of the more common ones here. But, um, yes, you can cut them back. You do want to do that cutting back before the new growth starts in the spring, which means probably sometime in the next three weeks or so, you're going to want to be going through and uh, cutting those clumps back to probably maybe six inches tall or so, they wow. will okay. they will come back out. They will reach about the same size they used reached this past year. They will expand in diameter. They will get a, maybe a little bit bigger as far as width, but they're not really. Only reason they would get much taller is just if we have a a much wetter year, they might grow a little bit bigger than they typically do. But um, it sounds absolutely beautiful, and you really don't have to do a lot of work. I'd give it some good organic fertilizer. I'd give it a pretty severe haircut sometime in the next three weeks, and then you're pretty much set for the next season. Perfect. That's what I need to tell you. And you're right. They do look fabulous when they're in full bloom. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks. Enjoy the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mario. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Rice is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thanks Good morning. Thanks for taking my call, and I hope it's not too late to wish you a Happy New Year. Well, it's never too late, Reese. It's good to hear from you. Thank you. All right. I am going to ask you a question about my flower bed. You know, it gets sunlight from morning till sunset. Okay. Very hot corner. And I want to plant some uh, flowers there, you know, Bob. I have uh, Pride of Barbados. That's very good. It doesn't need too much water. Right. And I also have some Flambago. What other flowers can you mention? Well, there are, of course, many different lantanas. They're both taller varieties and lower spreading varieties. They bloom all summer long. Lantanas, yeah. They are... need a lot of water, doesn't it? No, no. They, they will get by with very little water. Like everything, if you water a little bit mm. more, you will get more flowers. But lantanas mm. are very drought tolerant. Um, there are salvias, um, probably a hundred different kinds of salvias. Yeah, I have one of those. I love salvias, yes. Well, there, there's so many different kinds. I mean, there are blues, there are whites, there are pinks, there are reds, there are oranges, there are, uh, this, and some of them, you know, grow four feet tall. Some of them don't grow more than about 10 inches tall, but there are probably many other salvias you could plant in there. Mm-hmm. If you wanted a low growing flowering plant, mm-hmm. look at a plant called blackfoot daisy. Uh, Blackfoot Daisy is uh, blooms probably 10 months out of the year, and it just is a solid mass of little white daisy flowers, only about four inches tall, but it spreads out and just makes a blanket of flowers in a sunny spot. Oh, oh that's what I like. Um, there is okay. a plant called Skullcap, 
which is also a very low-spreading plant that has beautiful pink flowers. I like the, in fact, in my own landscape, I have a place where I have a combination of the pink salvia gregii with a pink skull cap, and this is sort of a raised bed. My driveway slopes up, and I have the upright pink salvia in the middle, and then the skull cap kind of spills over the limestone wall, and it's a beautiful combination that's in bloom eight, nine months out of the year. Okay, it's called skull cap? Yes, S-K-U-L-L, skull cap. skull, just like skull Yeah. Botanically, it's called scutellaria, but everybody mm-hmm. will know what skull cap is. But um, that is another very good one. Um, there is another almost ground cover if you have a place that you want something very low that mm-hmm. they call dwarf plumbago. It is not a plumbago, but the flower looks like a super dark blue plumbago, but it's a totally different plant. But it only grows about two or three inches tall and Gosh, it just it just becomes a carpet of blue. It is very drought tolerant. It freezes down in the winter, but comes back dependably. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, yeah, I, I can keep going yeah. on and on and on. There are so many good perennials that grow very easily, and yeah. those are all because, things that I think would look yeah, very I good. I need some color in my yard, you know, and I planted all the wrong ones, like bottle brush. It yeah. bre- it blooms only in the springtime. Right. Well, most of the things that I've mentioned to you today have a bloom yes. season from okay. six to nine months long. Okay. So uh, they they will be pretty, and just in the middle of January, you can plant some pansies or a big pot of pansies or something mm-hmm. out there, because December, January, early February, not going to be much of anything with a lot of flowers on it, but boy, the rest of the months of the year, you can just have a, a sea of color out there to enjoy. Are we out of the fear of getting any frost now, Bob? Oh, no. We are into our what is typically our coldest period of the year. Yeah, that's what I thought. And looking out the next week or 10 days, I don't Mm -hmm. see much frost out there for San Antonio, but uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sure not going to make any prediction at all. Right, I know. You know, the old timers have a saying that if it thunders in January, it will freeze in April. Mm-hmm. I had quite a thunderstorm at my place a couple of nights ago up in the hill country, so uh, I don't know if there's anything to it, but it could be that our cold may linger a little bit longer than usual this year. Okay. All right, Bob. Thank you so much for your information. You, I appreciate it. You, it's a always a day, pleasure to hear from you, Reese. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Randy's turn. We'll finish up with Randy. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Bob. Morning. I've got a question. What is the minimum distance that I can plant peach trees together? Oh, gosh. Uh, the minimum distance you could do it or the minimum distance I would recommend? Um, if, uh, if you want... What would you recommend? I would say a minimum probably of 10 feet center to center. I would say ideal would be 15 feet center to center. But, you know, you could plant them two feet apart. They just would compete with each other, and you'd have a problem with it in some areas being so shady that the fruit could not develop well. But if I wanted a fairly intense planting, I'd go about 10 foot on centers with them. Okay. I, well, the ones I've got left that the deer hadn't destroyed is about 15 feet. So I consider yeah, that ideal. That, yeah, I think that's ideal. Okay. Well, awesome, Bob. I drove by your place, and your fence is taking a beating. Well, sadly, we had a fatal accident up there on that road last night, as a matter of fact. And I spent some time out helping helping deputies direct traffic. And I either I, uh, as Dr. Kirby said, I'm, I'm catching a little bit of what everybody else caught or else I'm uh, 
they have breathed way too much cedar pollen last night. But yeah, it's uh, we. I'm trying to get the state highway department to put some rumble strips or something up there on 46 to slow that traffic down. Because golly, I can recall you know 10, 12 accidents just in the last two or three months, and uh, like I say, culminated in a very bad one last night. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get into the new year with a little bit more sanity, and maybe we can find some way to slow that traffic down. That'd probably be a good thing. Bob, you have a blessed year. You do the same, Randy. So it's always good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Thank you. Certainly. Bye.